Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Within a new Congress brings notable change, and the national defense policy landscape on Capitol Hill is no exception. These changes bring new questions. What can we expect to see from a new dynamic in the House Armed Services Committee? Will the National Defense Authorization Act spur unprecedented conflict? And how much opportunity will there be to add new riders to the bill? Moderator Greta Joins teams up with Ari Zimmerman and Barry Jackson to answer these questions and more. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. I'm Greta Joins, and I'm joined today by a new policy advisor to the team, Ari Zimmerman, and a resident to Brownstein, strategic advisor Barry Jackson. Today, we are talking about the implications of new leadership in the House and how that will affect defense policy in Congress and the White House. Ari, let's talk about the recent 2018 elections and its impact on the House Armed Services Committee. Thanks so much, Greta. So I'd like to introduce myself to our listeners today. I joined the firm directly off the House Armed Services Committee under the leadership of then-Chairman Thornberry. Uh, I held a number of roles for the committee, including member services and handling some of the more politically tricky issues the committee faces. But importantly, I, I, I helped develop strategies for members to turn their legislative priorities into victories, a skill that I've now brought to the extraordinary team here at Brownstein and our clients. Um, And you're absolutely right, Greta. The 2018 elections have absolutely changed the dynamic of national security policy on the Hill writ large, and certainly on the Hask more acutely. Now Chairman Smith, a long-serving Democrat from Washington State, is now running the committee and brings a uh, a different set of legislative priorities to the table than Chairman Thornberry did before him. Also, you have 14 freshman Democrats joining the committee and 16 total majority members that are new to the committee. Although it's a rather impressive group, uh, many of them have prior national security policy backgrounds or military experience. Um, And in just a small sample size of hearings so far, they have displayed a pretty solid grasp of the issues before them. Um, And I'm excited to see how that translates into actually legislating uh, and passing the Armed Services Committee's major piece of legislation, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, But getting back to Chairman Smith for a moment, uh, I do want to praise him uh, off the bat for his initial organizing hearing that he held to kick off this legislative session. He stated his main goals, uh, which are keeping the committee as being the most bipartisan in Congress, and that includes the staff, as well as ensuring that the National Defense Authorization Act gets passed every single year while he's chairman, uh, as it has been done for 58 straight years. Well, thanks a lot for that. I think that's a really good backgrounder. Barry, maybe you can talk a little bit about the dynamic as well, given your um, experience in leadership and kind of your thoughts on how the direction of the committee might change under Chairman Smith. Right. So from a leadership perspective, you have to think about whether you're Speaker Pelosi or Leader McConnell on this. Um, You're in this new environment where you want the committees to work, you want to stay as much as possible out of their hair, but because we have a divided Congress now, they're both going to be looking at what are the things that we as leadership can do to mitigate chances of things going off the rail. We we understand, and especially in in big piece of legislation like Defense Authorization Act, it is an ongoing rolling conference, if you will. The House is going to pass its version. The Senate will pass its version. There will be 
just hundreds of disparities in the language. But the communications between the committees and the staff in particular start way before conversations ever get to the point where it's on the floor. And so as the leadership team on both sides, and this will be Republican and Democratic leadership, they're going to want to make sure that with this change in power, the two committees do keep talking uh, the way that they're supposed to. And as Ari has noted, the, the, the way that Chairman Smith has gone on record and said, look, we're going to try to remain bipartisan. We understand that national defense is not a political um, javelin to throw back and forth at each other. We're going to have differences. But he's taken a very professional view of this. And in my own history in dealing with him is that I have a lot of confidence that he'll be able to manage his new set of members and help them walk them through and give them running room. And because he and the ranking member, former Chairman Thornberry, have a great relationship. They're used to working with each other. They know each other's signals, both the overt no, I'm not doing this, or the wink and the nod, you can roll me if you have to on this one. I don't expect that you're going to see this committee go off the rails like you might see some other committees. Now, kind of building on that, it sounds like both of you have a lot of respect for now Chairman Smith and and the process that he's run. You know, my perception is not having worked on the committee that both Hask and Sask, the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee, you know, were almost islands of bipartisanship, right? So I guess the question is broadly, when you look at the new conference in the House, Barry, maybe you can talk a little bit about how now Speaker Pelosi and Ranking Member McCarthy will try to kind of mitigate outside influence once the NDAA process is concluded. Like, are we going to get a bill, a great bill out of committee and then run into a process of actually moving it on the floor of the House? Well, so so I think you look at this from two lanes. One is Chairman Inhofe from Oklahoma, who's chairman of Republican Senate Armed Services, and then Chairman Smith, where are their conflict points in their point of view? And then you're going to have within the House committee itself, where do the Democratic leaders and the Republican leaders think they can gain points? Because even though we've all talked about it's a bipartisan committee and we're all going to be kumbaya and defending the nation, let's face it, this is politics and everything has a political aspect to it. So starting with the Senate thing, I think it's safe to say that the biggest areas of contention between Inhofe and Smith are going to be the size of the budget. Uh, We've got the sequester ending in 2020, which is supposed to drop defense spending back into the $530 billion range from the 700 it is now. That's a pretty big whack. The, the two chairmen have different views on this. I think the U.S. nuclear posture and development of new weaponry as well as maintenance of old weaponry is going to be a flashpoint between the two chairmen. I think the issues of how the Chairman Smith would declare them equality types of issues. So whether it's transgender service in the military, whether it's um, how um, the cadets are managed and operate and are trained and how they're respected at the academies, I think you'll see a lot of that. And I would kind of put in that area, it's not 
the equality issue, but um, climate. Chairman Inhofe is well known for his views on how to address climate change. Um, and Chairman Smith has a much different point of view. And as we have seen going back more than a decade, DOD, the Defense Department, oftentimes gets thrust in the middle of these kind of political debates. And I think um, you might see that here. Ari, what do you think the WIP team will be working with Chairman Smith um, kind of as we start this process? You know, some of the issues that Barry mentioned, climate, social issues, if the Democratic conference wants to make sure that those are in an NDA product, how much outside pressure will be put onto Chairman Smith and what will he have to do to ensure that the bill um, actually gets passed? So from my experience, Chairman Smith has always had an outsized influence from his leadership team in getting their priorities passed into the NDAA. And I think both, at the end of the day, both sides have an understanding of what can and can't be done. And that just because you care you know, very deeply about an issue doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's ripe enough to be signed into law into a divided government. And what I think is great about the working relationship between Ranking Member Thornberry and Chairman Smith, as Barry pointed out, is they've been doing this side by side for a long time. And I, so I think, you know, as I mentioned, the, the bill's been signed into law for 58 straight years, and most people expect that to continue this year. And I think, you know, there will be this, this wink, wink, nod, nod about what you can and can't actually get done. And that the importance of the mission of passing an NDEA um, and all the critical authorities that, that are in this bill will outweigh, hopefully, some of the outside political pressures. And you can't really forget about the importance of this bill. So it, it authorizes you know, everything from the amount of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines in the military, uh, TRICARE policy, you know, health care for our service members and their families, authorizing necessary military construction projects, critical warfighting authorities, uh, security cooperation policy, and, and sort of diplomacy setting from a military standpoint with other, with other nations. And, and everything in between and, and you know, pay raise and, uh, for our, and, and salaries for our, our soldiers as well. And so this bill has to be passed. And it's that recognition, I think, of how important this bill is that has allowed it to pass consecutively for so many years. And so, you, so there absolutely will be those political pressures on hot button wedge issues, many of which Barry mentioned. But you hope that at the end of the day, um, you know, that service to the mission um, wins out. And let me just add on what Ari said there a little bit is because one of the things about the Armed Services Committee, and I think this is both the House and the Senate, regardless of who happens to be in political control at the moment, the committee is not the type of committee that likes to bring attention to itself. The, the big you know, glamorous hearings and having people stand up and raise their hands so you can get the picture. That that is not the history of the committee, and and it largely is in conflict of what their mission is and and what what Ari line outlined is these, these really big things. I think one of the fascinating things for Brownstein's clients to be looking at is that there is this really volatile mix of issues that are that. 
Hask will be at the center of the, the Armed Services Committee. So if you think about the president's decision on INF withdrawal, which gets to the crux of this issue that I talked about with, in some ways, what Smith has talked about, our nuclear force capacity. But it gets into the issues then of what about Putin? And it draws you into the Ukraine conflict and everything else that's going on with NATO. Hard for Hask not to have a public profile on this. Certainly what we're going to see with funding for border wall and what would appear to be the president's determination that a lot of other funding is available through military construction budgets and using the military, his authority as commander-in-chief there. I don't think Chairman Smith is going to be able to avoid being sucked into that profile, and especially as they start talking about where should money go. Because one thing that I think both Smith and Thornberry would agree on, and I, and I know over in the Senate they feel the same way, one of the highest priorities for the committee is quality of life issues for our servicemen and women. And so when you start talking about we're going to take X amount of dollars, which maybe was going to be used for housing construction on basis, for instance, and we're going to use it for a wall, that's going to create some, some pushback. I think there's going to be probably more visibility on the committee than they would like, but it's it's a matter of things that are coming at them. And Greta, one of the things I know you're really familiar with is, is you know, the issue of cyber and AI, and, and as as the Pentagon has been dealing with these issues, and as we think about the upcoming election, if we think about the cyber threat we have from Iran and from China and from Russia, as well as non-state actors, I guess I would say DOD is at the front line of this. And so the committee has not only jurisdiction, but a really critical role to play in this. And, and um, while it's not necessarily a front and center fight for Hask in, in the sense, but you can't forget about Amazon in all of this conversation also, because um, as DOD continues to move forward with the JEDI process, um, I think Adam Smith will have a little bit of a spotlight shined on him as chairman now. Um, are you actually doing what's best for our security when it comes to cyber? With Jedi, or are you actually just trying to help out your home base guy, Amazon? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think broadly, we're going to see a lot of issues for our clients pop up within D, in the NDAA that maybe haven't in in previous years. You know, to Barry's point, I think cyber is going to be huge. Supply chain security, I think, will be huge as well. So I, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities to engage with the committee than maybe there have been at least been perceived in other years. Um, Ari, do you think that the committee members, you know, are going to be ready for kind of the onslaught of people that kind of want to come in and talk to them about maybe some of these issues that they haven't engaged on, at least publicly, as much as they have, you know, in years past? Um, they absolutely will, Greta. This is a, an amazing committee. It's the largest in Congress, um, and it also has one of the most senior staff um, that have seen the gamut of issues come before the committee. Um, and because it is such a large bill, you know, mostly the conference report is, is typically over 2,000 pages. They have seen leadership try to 
to throw many different bills onto the bill um, throughout the process. So last year, for instance, CFIUS reform was a major issue, and those were bills that originated in the House and Senate Finance Committees. You had the House and Senate Foreign Affairs and Foreign Relations Committees deeply involved in that. At the end of the day, there was a four corners agreement that any reform to the CFIUS process would go through the House Armed Services Committee. Now, it's not the Committee of Jurisdiction, but those types of, of riders certainly find themselves on the NDEA, and, and our, our staff certainly worked pretty hard to ensure that, um, that it got through and that all sides agreed on that final product. You know, another issue was, uh, was a pretty interesting medical device issue um, that was tied up in the Energy and Commerce Committee. Essentially, there was a, a life-saving device that the FDA wasn't approving, and um, the committees worked you know, within the committee process and, and sequential referral process to get that issue solved and, and pass through the NDEA. And it's important to note that the Armed Services Committee asks for uh, what is a wonky issue here, a sequential referral, which is asking a committee to waive its jurisdiction so that another committee's bill can go through. They have sequential referral from every committee in Congress. And so, importantly for Brownstein's clients, if you are looking uh, at, at solving one of your many issues, uh, the NDA is a great place to look for it. One other thing that Azari brings up, how armed services finds itself in places you wouldn't expect. A great example that everybody's going through right now is the president's focus on invoking national security as he talks about his tariffs. And that is a role that the DOD plays that most people underappreciate. Because um, when the president starts to say um, this is a national security threat, the natural reaction is to turn to the Joint Chiefs or to the Secretary of Defense and say, really? And because you work for the president, you need to produce the report, the verbiage that says, well, yes, sir, it is. Or you may not believe it is, but you've got to navigate that. So so it's just another one of those issues. As, as Ari said, as the defense authorization bill goes through and this myriad of strange topics all of a sudden find themselves in in the and other things title of the bill. The tariffs in, in, in trade is going to be a part of that also. Well, it certainly sounds that like we are going to have an interesting Congress. Um, and I, I, I really think that, um, you know, with Ari's experience coming directly from the committee and in particular how bipartisan it has been, I think our clients have a real opportunity to engage with the committee that maybe they haven't done in the past. And um, so we're excited to have you, Ari. Well, thank you so much for listening to another Brownstein podcast. We will be back soon. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.